Hello and welcome to Bar Chats and Viral Rights. Let me just make sure that um, everything is in order at the moment. Right. Okay, welcome everyone uh, to Bar Chats and Viral Rights. My name is Jaya from the Bar Council Environment and Climate Change Committee. And it is a great pleasure to welcome all of you who are tuning in to our webinar tonight. This episode is the start to a five-part webinar series where we explore better whether ordinary people like you and me have a right to be involved with the environment and how people use or abuse it. Through earnest dis uh, conversations and discussions with our panelists, this series aims to promote curiosity and healthy discussion about what those rights are, how to protect them, and why one should bother um, finding out how to do that. So here's what the whole series will cover. Episode zero starts with unpacking the frustrations and helplessness one would feel when hearing about or directly experiencing the day-to-day -day consequences of environmental issues, how it relates to our rights, why one should bother doing something about upholding those rights, and how to go about doing that. Episode one then delves into exploring what uh, gives us those environmental rights. And then in episode two, we look into the existing institutions and agencies that protect and uphold those rights. Basically, who we need to bring up complaints to and work with to improve the situation. Episode three then looks into the practicalities and complications in upholding these rights. And lastly, episode four explores what an ordinary person can do about it. This is a project by Malaysians for Malaysians. It is meant to get people to ask more questions and in fact, better questions rather than provide specific answers. So please don't take anything mentioned here as legal advice for your specific situation. Comments and opinions of our panelists are personal in nature, although they may draw from their professional experiences and many other hats that they wear. On that note, I would like to invite you to also share your thoughts and questions with us via the Q&A function here in Zoom and also on Facebook Live. You can tag us with the handles hashtag barchats, hashtag envirorights, and hashtag BCECCC. Now, let me introduce you to Norman Goh, who will be moderating the discussion this evening. Norman is a journalist and producer of the weekly podcast Bichara Mingu Ini that covers current affairs and politics in Malaysian born and uh, in Malaysia. Now, Norman is born and raised in Sarawak. Right, Norman is also a trained registered nurse in Malaysia and Singapore. Over to you, Norman. Hi, uh, thank you very much, Jaya, for the opening. And I'm honored to be part of this work. And I have to say, um, the organizing team did a very, very good job in making this a success. Lots of late night meetings via video calls and preparation. So kudos to the team and volunteers too. And uh, hello, I'm uh, Norman Go. So first of all, the moment you mention about Sungai Kim Kim, we are all reminded about the major river pollution in Johor that led to dozens of students, teachers, and workers falling ill from two schools near the river due to illegal dumping of chemicals into the river. That, that happened in March 2019, not too distant, and the incident is still fresh in our minds. More than 10 million ringgit was spent to clean up the river, more than 6,000 victims, where 2,775 of them were hospitalized. Hundreds of schools were closed. And then in September 2020, 
So the pollution of Sungai Gong in Rawang, Selangor caused water cuts and left 1.2 million households in Klang Valley without water for a few days, shutting down five water treatment plants. The incident angered the public, calling for amendment to the laws to punish the perpetrators heavily. So to help us understand better, so let me introduce to you, uh, let me introduce you to our learn uh, three panelists today to help us encapsulate tonight's topic better and what we can do as part of this as part of society to take action. I know we are very angry, so um, make sure you don't you don't destroy your laptop if you are angry. So enjoy the webinar. So first of all. Let me introduce to you for our first panelist. We have Jessica Rambinwani. Hi, Jessica. So Jessica is a lawyer who has practiced as a mix of public interests, litigation in relation to environmental and human rights issues, as well as general litigation and governmental advisory work. She is currently the legal consultant to Consumers Association of Penang, CAP, and Sahabat Alam Malaysia, as well as the legal advisor to the Malaysian Medi Medical Council, Ministry of Health. She is also the member of Environmental Law Alliance Worldwide, ELaw, a global alliance of lawyers, scientists, and other advocates collaborating across borders on environmental issues. She has been involved in several environment and native land cases, including the actions to challenge the EIA for Bakun Dam in Strawa, the extinguishment of native customary rights for the dam, the EIA for the gold processing faculty at facility in Bukit Koman and the subsequent defamation suits against Bukit Koman villagers. Next, we have Wong Siolin. Hi, Siolin. Well, Siolin has been a content producer professionally for almost 30 years in the print, broadcast, and online media with a background in trade and newspaper journalism. Her writing as SL Wong, she has been covering environmental issues and topics since 1992. She has been she was the main environmental features writer for The Star, the English language newspaper, and after 1995, she has produced books, reports, articles, videos, and other communications materials for newspapers, government agencies, corporations, publishers, NGOs, and aid agencies. She is the co-founder and editor of environmental journalism portal, Makaranga. You can visit the website, www.makaranga.org, M-A-C-A-R-A-N-G-A. -A -A. So this portal covers environmental and sustainability issues in Malaysia and aims to fill a gap in research-based and analytical long-form journalism in these areas. Next, we have Tan Sri Dr. Saleh Muhammad No. Hi, Tan Sri. Ah, there we go. Yes, a Tansri there. So Tansri Saleh spent most of his professional life in advocating and protecting nature and natural resources in Malaysia, both in his previous public role as the first director general of Forest Research Institute Malaysia, FRIM, as well as in his personal capacity as the president of Malaysia Nation Society, MNS, of which he was the president for 30 years. Now, I was about that age. Now, this long. <laughs> <laughs> So he, <laughs> well, he was elected as the president of International Union of Forest Research Organizations, the first person from outside Europe and America in 100 years history of the organization. He was a former, he was a member of the uh, Suhakam, the Malaysian Human Rights Commission, former chairman of board of trustees of uh, College University Terengganu KUT, now known as University Malaysia Terengganu. Inaugural Chairman of Malaysian Bio-Industry Organization and Inaugural Fellow, Past Vice President, Former Secretary General and Council Member of the Academy of Sciences Malaysia, ASM. He is now a Senior Fellow of ASM and manages a contract R&D company on plant biotechnology and a forestry consultancy business. So let's quickly move in. Now, early on when I mentioned about Sungai Kim Kim, you know, why are we upset and outraged about these cases and all that? 
So let me start off with Jessica. So Jessica, in these examples, what basis do normal citizens have to be upset? Can you share with us about it? Well, normal citizens are obviously affected, as in the case of Sungai Kim Kim, and their lives have been disrupted uh, by the environmental uh, uh, event that has taken place. Uh, in particular, we're talking about Sungai Kim Kim and Sungai Gong, Clearly, we can all relate. It's Sungai Gong, we can all relate because we were all affected. But Sungai Kim Kim is a different level altogether. You had uh, children who were, you know, in hospital, people who had suffered all sorts of respiratory ailments, and uh, people who were affected by something which happened several kilometers away, but affected them and their health and their livelihood. Those who lived along the river and even those who lived a bit further away. So... Everyone has a right to be angry and everyone has a right to question as to why um, this was allowed to happen. And I'm not only talking about the people who live there and who uh, have their livelihoods there, but also everyone else outside that vicinity. Everyone, you and I, people around the country, we all have a right to be angry because if it can happen in Sungai Kim Kim, it can happen anywhere else. And we are all potential victims Unless, and unless, unless something is done about it and unless um, it, it's found out what the problem was and where the weaknesses were and how we can avoid this kind of uh, events happening and affecting all of us. So we all have that reason to be angry because one day it could affect us. Thanks, Jessica. So next, I would like to ask uh, Siulin, um, another fellow journalist, so what do you think the Sungai Kim Kim case grabs so much attention by the media? So what do you think that the overall reaction to Sungai Kim Kim that has built up further in later incidences like Sungai Gong is like, you know, one after another? You know, what do you say about that? Yeah, I guess uh, media is a reflection and amplification of what, uh, what matters to society, right? So the media picked up these stories because uh, both of them actually share the same traits as uh, exactly like what Jessica said as well. You know, it's the scale of it. It upset a lot of people. Uh, it's also the range of people that it affected, including the very vulnerable whom everybody cares about. Children, Arang Asli, the most vulnerable of society. So, you know, the role of media then um, is to capture those uh, voices because, you know, it is something that's on a very large scale. The second thing is also, obviously, the newsworthiness of it, if you like, is uh, the possibility of disaster. How bad could this become? Uh, could people die from it, right? Um, and, and, and so, how did it happen? Why did it happen? Can it be controlled? Who's responsible, you know? Uh, the people whom we trust to make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen have failed us. So, who can, should be held accountable? Thanks, Jessica. Uh, thanks, Yulin. <clears throat> so on that note, uh, Tansri Saleh, I'd like to go to you, Tansri. So what do you think it is important um, for normal citizens like you and I uh, to take this interest uh, in the cases uh, like Sungai Kim Kim, Sungai Gong, or any examples discussed in the first place? Tansri? Um, let me first start by thanking this group of very young ladies and gentlemen for inviting this old man to join you. This 
All right, seems like uh, we have a little bit of um um yeah, Tanshree, Bobby. You'd... All right, we will uh get back to uh Tanshree later. There seems to be uh, uh my apologies with the uh, a little bit of uh, technical uh, uh issues right there with uh Tanshree Sale. But that's all right. You know, um you know, going back to uh uh Jessica you know, um, on that note, no. in the case of Sungai Kim Kim, you know, some quarters mentioned that DOE was at fault for failing to enforce and that being in a federal department, they were ineffective and should be a state department instead. So there's a federal and state. So would that be actually been better? Uh, were there legal barriers that made it difficult for the DOE to enforce? Um, actually, the DOE um, uh, enforces... There is a bit of a conflict where, where environmental law is concerned. There is an issue. The DLE is a federal agency. Uh, if you talk about the environment, the environment is not a subject matter which belongs either to the state or to the federal. But what you have in every state government is you have um, an exco member who is responsible for the environment. And you have branches of the Department of the Environment in every state who oversee um, the environmental issues in each state. Each state. So, um, for instance, in Sungai Kim Kim, yes, the blame was put on the DOE, but in the civil suit that was filed by the people who were affected, they also named the EXCO member for environment, uh, who is uh, part of the state EXCO, and they also named uh, the state environmental department. Now, it's yet to be seen whether that will hold up in court, but they the focus of that argument was that being the representative or being the agency on the ground, uh, DOE seen to be a federal agency, there should have been better monitoring by the local, uh, the, the state uh, department of environment and the state exco or, and their branches uh, of the situation on the ground. So, uh, and it's not just about the Department of Environment, because there are a lot of other departments involved. So I don't know whether you want me to go into that at this stage or when you tell me that you want me to go into that. I think maybe you can share um, just briefly about how um, these, these agencies really work. You know, um, yeah. Okay. So what happened was that, the, the I'll, I'll tell you about the civil suit. Okay. The civil suits were filed by, um, two, there were two civil suits that are pending now. One is filed by the children and the parents of the children, okay, for the personal injury and for the distress and anxiety and uh, the loss suffered by them. The other one was filed by the fishermen who live along Sungai Kim Kim. And these fishermen have suffered a loss of income because of the incident that happened. So they're two different suits, but both sued all the state parties, which means they sued um, the, the state government. Uh, for failing to monitor the activities of these uh, factories, which are all along the uh, uh, the river, the river bank, uh, or very close to the river, so there you have the straight, you have the drainage and irrigation department, which is responsible for rivers, and the and the, and the surrounding areas, and then you have the uh, land authorities, uh, because you are looking at whether the factory was actually under a TOL or whether it really had a title or it was an illegal uh, factory. 
then you have um, the local authorities into looking into whether they had the proper licenses to operate or not. And then you have um, the DOE and the state uh, Department of Environment, state uh, agency responsible for monitoring uh, the activities of this. So there are many different players. So it's very difficult to just point that it is one agency's fault because it really is um, a play of uh, several different agencies who all play different roles in the functioning of one particular factory or entity and how it affects everyone. So um, everyone has a role to play. Every department has a role to play in, 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 in a business coming up and operating in a place which is considered sensitive or which may affect the people around them. All right. Thank you, Jessica. So I go back to Tan Sri. Uh, glad to see you back, uh, Tan Sri. So earlier on, uh, when... Uh, Early on, Jessica was talking about the, um, you know, how DOE and the legal barriers and some of the issues that are faced. So going back to the question I asked you earlier, that the, you know, how important it is for normal citizens to take interest in cases like that. Um, like what examples you discussed in the first place? Over to you, Tansri. Well, to me, it is the role and responsibility of the citizen, the average man on the street, to be proactive in environmental issues, not just be a bystander, not leave it to the government, not leave it to the government departments, not leave it to agencies, but be proactive. Those people living around there, to my mind, should have been aware of this factory polluting, because I'm sure this is not the only incident, this is not does not happen just in that time in what September of 2019 or so. It must have been there for some time. The factory has been there for some time. Why has not the people around there been proactive? Why the Koto Kampong? Why did not the Pungulu? Why not the Wakirayat come out uh, in right up front from the beginning to tell them, look, we may have a permanent uh, potential problem on our hands. This, to my mind, is the voice of the riot, and the voice of the riot must be respected. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tansri. You know, we look at this sort of uh, situation, there are countless incidents over the years of pollution in many forms that have affected the health of the people in Malaysia gas pollution incidents in Pasir Gudang, agricultural practices in Cameron Highlands, Pahang and Kelantan that led, that led to major floods. It's not just the pollution. We have major flood issues, landslides, lives are lost. And then over and over, these are happening again. As haze as well, as you know, uh, irresponsible burning and all that. So there has been perception of bystander effect, like what Tansri Saleh mentioned. Uh, among Malaysians, you know, just stand there, look, uh, you do lah, you know, keep pointing fingers. So, you know, who are the seemingly showing less interest, you know, they're not interested in kind of things until they themselves uh, are affected. Once you can, then yeah. you better do it, you know, like what Tanshree mentioned earlier. So what went wrong there? Uh, why, why is there a lack of empathy and solidarity among Malaysians? So I'll move to you, Silin. 
So why do you think that it is important for normal citizens to take interest in things like that? Yeah, I think it's both, both the other panelists have pointed out. I mean, when Jessica started listing all the different sort of um, uh, stakeholders, you know, and the sorts of different departments and different agencies involved, I mean, you can imagine that some, you know, I would get absolutely confused. Uh, where do I begin? And if I go after this person and it's the wrong person uh, or wrong agency, then where do I go next? And then and so on and so forth. It's it's absolutely bewildering. Uh, you know who to point. There's no one single person that you can point the finger at. Uh, you know and likewise, yes. Uh, say there's pollution. The people who were living in the industrial estate. Uh, in Pasigudang, where Sungai Kim Kim ran through. Uh, it's not the only river that was polluted. There's been other rivers there that have been polluted for many years. And it's also not anything new at all. So, but to take it on, I think, requires effort. It requires uh, commitment, uh, maybe a certain doggedness, and uh, a whole sense of helplessness as well. I think you, you sort of feel helpless, like, where do I begin? How do I push this through? I'm alone in all of this. Uh, and also, there's an inherent distrust of um, authority, maybe, you know, in Malaysia. Uh, so when you, you don't trust that anything you do is going to go anywhere, uh, it, it puts people off. Celine, on that note, yeah, what angles would usually be used to report cases like uh, Sungai King Kim or the other examples discussed? You know, recently, there's a huge flooding in Talipo, in Tenom, in, in Sabah, just a couple of weeks ago. You know, do you think these reporting angles are useful in helping normal citizens understand the incident or do they just trigger emotional reactions? And also another thing what came to my mind just recently is that citizens journalism, uh, citizen journalists, you know, they are the ones recording and documenting all this. So what, is, what do you think about that, Zulin? Well, um, the news people do what news people are supposed to do. They report what happens. And I guess um, everybody tries to report as fairly as possible. Uh, certainly not, I hope, not to elicit, uh, you know, uh, strong emotions of hatred against uh, one party or another. Uh, and so the idea is, yes, we people need to be informed. Again, the media is a reflection of and uh, amplifies what matters to people. Uh, so the hope is that there, there are the, the reason why journalists write news stories is to let people know what's going on so that uh, people might take action, so that authorities might take action, so that the problem may be stopped. Uh, now, there is a very, very big role now for citizen journalists, for sure. Uh, the way media has gone, the way social media has basically taken over, WhatsApp has taken over as a, a very key means of communication, means that everybody actually can play a role because it is easy. Social media is a slippery slope to be on as well because it also then amplifies stuff that is not fact-checked, stuff that is not necessarily science-based. Uh, social media can actually amplify uh, hysteria, uh, concern, and disinformation. Thank you, Shirlin. So from these kind of cases, I'll move on to back to Tan Sri Saleh again. Um, Tanshree, so now knowing all this happening around us, but what is next step? So to you, Tanshree, how does one go about knowing who should be held accountable by whom? Uh, where is that information available? Is it difficult to find? Well, in the first place, um, have we got the legal mechanisms? Are there laws in this country? I believe there are. I definitely believe. I think there are too many laws in this country. But 
enforcement is an issue and underlying all that is fundamental illegal um, behavior corruption is becoming to be rampant and all this does not augur well for the country especially for the younger generations the younger generations see the older generations the current generation the current political leaders taking bribes which is open you know and i'm sure those um, factory owners are not and i'm not accusing them please but i'm sure these things could have happened in the past where enforcers of the law have closed one eye until it zoomed and became a national issue then the public woke up the third issue that i want to talk to, to discuss is how ngos non governmental organizations like the mns the malaysian aid society we have been proactive in the past and the vice president mr vincent um chao in johor is very much aware of this and he has alerted um the authorities on number of occasions in the past of potential hot spots in the country in johor in particular where pollution can happen now ngos play a major role there is the protection uh, malaysian protection society which unfortunately is not very active at the moment but the malaysian aid society continues in its effort to protect the environment not just the green environment not just uh, terrestrial environment but pollution as a whole and chinchin offers one classic example where in my mind the public has failed in its responsibility somewhat thank you so tanshi on that right ordinary citizens you know uh, there's one question from the uh, our uh, webinar participants uh, ordinary citizens are afraid of reprisals so in, in your opinion how would law protect them please do not be afraid of reprisal you as a malaysian citizen have a right under the constitution to express your views as long as you do not break the law and expressing your views to the press expressing your views on social media is not breaking the law but if you go down and put a placard with groups of hundreds of people demonstrating that is breaking the law that you could be taking uh, to, to justice or to to be arrested taken to court etc etc but expressing your views as a citizen under the constitution you have a right do not be afraid i have done that on numerous occasions over the past 30 years when i was president and nobody has taken me to court because i stood on facts the issue norman is trying to get the facts often times the public is unable to get the facts at the right time that is a problem 
Thank you, Tanshri. We'll quickly move on to Jessica. Jessica, uh, you would like to add on uh, to this. So we like to pick your brain, you know, on this in your role as Sabah Alam Malaysia and as a, a legal um, from from the legal fraternity point of view. So why is it important uh, to understand such? Facts and we, as we follow the story and developments of the incidents, um, like who should be held accountable? Can I report? Are there reprisals? If I'm being threatened by these people, what can they do? Okay, so first of all, it's very important. In in the line of our work, we have seen what works best is if a community works together. If the community is affected, then uh, there is strength in numbers. So it should not be one person just standing up and fighting because that person eventually, that you know, unity is in numbers. So it's always important for a community to stand up, to be counted and to speak as one voice against any problem that the community is facing. So that's very important. And once you do that, once the community is willing to stand up and be counted, the fear of reprisal will be less. Naturally, if it's a single individual, they may worry that they will be singled out and then they will be used as an example to threaten the rest of the community. We have seen this happen before, not from the authorities, but we have seen this happen before in cases. And uh, the, so, but we have also seen cases where the community is super strong and they've stood together despite all the uh, um, um, attempts to silence them. And, and they've come out fighting. So for instance, okay, for instance, let me give you an example. Um, the Bukit Koman, the people in uh, Bukit Koman who fought against uh, a gold facility which was processing um, gold and using um, sodium cyanide to process gold. Now, uh, defamation suits were far. Now, uh, I won't go into the details of it, but what I will tell you is that the Court of Appeal actually decided in one of the defamation suits uh, against one of the committee members, that she was a social activist, that she was an activist. And as an activist, she has a role to play in society, to raise matters of public concern, and to question uh, on behalf of society why certain things are happening. And society has a right to know. And that times have changed from before when people were expected to be quiet and that now the public has a right to know. So uh, the Court of Appeal recognized this right of an activist and it was endorsed by the federal court. So now people should not, therefore, not fear reprisal, especially if they act together as a community. Just the second point that I wanted to add was that Tansri mentioned about environment being very crucial to all of us and that everybody should really take an interest. And I think it's important for everyone to take an interest, of course. Um, at this current point of time, environment is not even mentioned in the federal constitution. Uh, for years, uh, you mentioned Sabah Alam Malaysia, we have been trying to lobby or uh, ask that the environment should be named, should be counted as one of the fundamental rights under the federal constitution. It is a fundamental right in the constitution of some other countries, many other countries actually, uh, but it is not a fundamental right under our constitution, and it should be because it is so crucial to our survival as a human race. So I think that is important, not only for NGOs to fight for, but for the general public to understand the importance of the environment and to ask that this be recognized as a fundamental right. Only then, once it's recognized as a fundamental well, it's not only then, but when it's recognized as a fundamental right, then 
there is that security that when I'm fighting for my environment or when I'm fighting for the environment, I'm fighting for something that is important to the entire country, to the entire citizenry of this nation. Thank you, Jessica. I think uh, Siulin has uh, something to add on. So, Siulin, what do you think about it? Yeah, well, well, first of all, I really hope Parliament sits so that we can actually push things like what Jessica has said, very important things to enshrine uh, environmental rights in the constitution. That would be really marvellous. Uh, but secondly, just to pick up on her first point and the point earlier made by Tan Sri as well, uh, when you, you organise, when you are in numbers, the media will pay attention. They will pick up the story and again use the media to amplify what, what it is you're trying to say. Yep. Thanks, Yulin. So I'll go back to you again, um, Jessica. Uh, you know, another pertinent, uh, pertinent question to you. Is it possible for, you know, for normal citizens to sue the government? Like for example, the case in, in Sungai Kim Kim. What about other cases? What is, you know, to, to public out there, what is public litigation? You know, when does one resolve to use public litigation, similarly like the case in Sungai Kim Kim? Uh, actually, it's okay. Thanks, Norman. Uh, actually, it's public interest litigation. So public interest litigation is litigation which is in the interest of more than just the litigants themselves. It is the interest of the general public, which uh, serves uh, uh, the interest of the general public and the citizenry. So for instance, um, there was a case where the MTUC, the Malaysian Trades Union Congress, uh, sued the Minister of Water and Energy and uh, Telecommunications asking for information regarding um, uh, Shabas uh, and, uh, and the concessions uh, with the state government and federal government. So the court there said that MTUC, that, that particular litigation was a public interest litigation because it is of interest to the rest of the public to know uh, why our water rates have been increased. So similarly, in environmental issues, anything which is of interest to the general public and not of interest to the personal interest to the litigant would be considered to be of public, a public interest litigation. And uh, uh, so people, anyone can take action. Uh, previously, the rules on um, locus standi, locus standi means standing to sue, were, were very um, limited. You had to have suffered a loss or you had to have suffered an injury or suffered some uh, had something happened to you or suffered a personal injury or loss in order to be able to file a suit but the mtuc case established that you don't need to uh, uh, have an infringement of a private right all you need to show is that you have a genuine interest in the subject matter so as long as in, in that case the mtuc had a genuine interest because they had written letters asking for the concession and the audit reports, but they didn't get a reply. So it was, or they were rejected. So there was a genuine interest, although they didn't lose anything. There was no infringement of their private right, but there was an interest. So similarly, in, in, in another case involving, um, you know, when they introduced Jawi in schools, um, uh, politicians sued. And uh, the court said that was public interest litigation because, and they had a genuine interest because of the fact that there were other parents who were part of that political party and all the parents had an interest to know what was happening and to know what the decision was. So in that sense, as long as you have a genuine interest, you can sue. So relating, bringing that back to environmental cases, 
you don't really have to just have to suffer a personal loss as long as you have a genuine interest in the public interest issue that uh, has arisen due to the environmental catastrophe or the environmental event that is happening then we would consider well i would say that is worth fighting for it is worth attempting a case on that basis well we have a question from facebook to uh, jessica uh, by uh, Marilyn Shannon Poe. Uh, she's curious over the regulators monitoring part. According to the EQSWR, the scheduled waste generators need to notify the DOE regarding the S, uh, SW generation within 30 days. Did the proprietors, uh, proprietor, uh, proprietors, proprietors comply to that? Maybe you can share about it. Uh, I suppose she's referring to the Sungai Kim Kim case. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, I, I don't know whether they did comply with that. I, I was only involved at the initial stages of the case, so I don't have the details. All right. Thank you so much, Jessica. It's all right. So I'll go back to Silin. Um, now, media plays a very important role to highlight, investigate, inform, and educate. So uh, how difficult is it to report on environmental incidents like Sungai Kim Kim? Uh, for example, there are so many parties involved, and the story can be very complex, long and arduous journeys of sometimes it's not clear in terms of who done it you know who's at fault who's the victim um well i think uh victims are actually quite easy to identify i think uh it's it's the person whose child is sick or it's the fisherman who has lost his or her livelihood a fisher person who has lost his or her livelihood uh yes indeed um who do you interview uh, it can be tricky, but uh, the tendency is to go with a politician uh, or a state representative or the head of whichever agency is uh, who turns up, who, who, who turns up to do the cleanup, uh, that sort of thing. And and what you do is you you go down and you try and get quotes. Or the tendency though is is to go and speak to a, a politician. Uh, or a state representative, yeah. There, there is a need to speak to other stakeholders, um, and that's not always so easy to do because of the news cycle, because of deadlines. It used to be that you needed to file your story by, uh, I don't know, five, six o'clock in the evening. Now, because of the 24-hour news cycle, you just need to file your story as quickly as possible. And then that gives rise to all sorts of problems like accuracy uh, and and inadequate sort of re researching in order to get your re report exactly correct. So you have retractions and all that sort of thing, but that, that's now all part of the, the news cycle. Um, to do a very good story, one would need to spend time. And indeed, uh, if you like, maybe give it a bit of time. So yes, the news uh, folks will go out and they need to do that. They need to report to let people know what's going on on the spot. You mentioned citizen journalists, people on the ground, taking photos, putting stuff up on Facebook, putting stuff up on, on Instagram. People can see this immediately what's going on, but they might not actually understand what's going on. This is where there is a need for more in-depth features, more analysis, where people, uh, journalists, hopefully will speak to people uh, like Jessica or people like Tansri Saleh, uh, representatives of uh, the law community or the... Um, uh, you know, non-government organizations who have dealt with these problems before. It's not new, it's not one-off, everybody knows that. And to, to be able to, to get a, a more sort of bird's eye view of what is happening, to get a deeper understanding of why it's happening in order to uh, maybe push the authorities who are uh, responsible to, to do the right thing, if you like. Yeah. 
Now, we have a question here uh, from um, one anonymous attendee. Now, she was saying that prevention is better than cure. Would better education of young and not so young through refined reform in schools, curriculum or public information on a consistent basis to uh, help to instill better sense of responsibility to protect and conserve the environment? As you, Lynn. Yes, children have always been the target from the time I started writing about uh, the environment 30 years ago. Children were the target and they're now, I don't know, 40-something, 50-something-year-olds. Uh, and still we see the same issues happening. Uh, we've had this uh, river pollution. People have known, I mean, the government has known and the media has reported on river pollution for many, many years now. It's been reported in uh, this, this government document called the Environmental Quality Report. Uh, for example, the, in 2017, they monitored about 500 rivers uh, all over Malaysia. 51 were considered polluted in 2017. Uh, and from 2017 to 2018, uh, class 5 rivers, which are considered rivers that are dead, basically no fish can live there, it's so polluted, it's dead, it's considered dead. So there, were, there was one of these in uh, 2017, and in 2018 there were five. And this is publicly available information. So um, who's supposed to be doing stuff? If you, knew, if you read this report uh, and you update yourself, uh, who are you going to point a finger at? And who should be taking responsibility? Right. Thank you, Solin. Heading back to Tan Sri. Uh, what needs to be done to improve, you know, moving, you know, coming from what Suilin has shared earlier and also a question from our attendee, you know, to improve the civic interest and participation in legal rights? You know, what role do civil society, NGOs, or even person, a anyone to play in this matter? They, they all, th thank you, Norman. They all have a role to play, the individual. But what is lacking, to my mind, is leaders who are willing to stand up and be counted. People tend to be afraid to be counted for obvious reasons. They are afraid of being um, reprimanded, afraid of being taken um, to court or whatever. But the issue is, I consider the environment as a fundamental human right, although Jessica did mention it is not embodied in the constitution, but it is a human right to a clean environment. Uh, it is time, Jessica, that you champion uh, the amendment to the constitution to include environmental issues. And uh, I'll be happy to support you, but a young lady like you who has a legal background would be in ideal position to push this for a change in the constitution, especially now with the political upheaval in this country, I don't think we know where on earth we are going. But the issue is coming back to the issue that Norman asked. My fundamental concern is the younger generation should be educated. They are very concerned. My grandchildren are very concerned about the environment. And I'm sure children at primary schools, they're concerned. I mean, look at when the, when the haze came on. People ask, why is this happening? Why are our peace forms in burn? Or we blame Indonesia. 
But on the other hand, we in Trawa are causing some of the causes of, uh, of the sources of pollution. And even in, as recently in, in Slango and in Para, where peat swamps are converted to oil palm, these things shouldn't happen. So the public must be proactive and use NGOs like them. Because if you're afraid uh, to be counted, as it were, use the NGOs. Be a member of the Malaysian Nature Society, be a member of the Environment Protection Society. So that use your society to voice your concern. Thank you, Norman. Thank you, Tan Sri. Uh, so we'll move to uh, Jessica. So why is it important for normal citizens to take interest, of, you know, participate in upholding justice? Right now, is, we're talking about going into action. Uh, how, what do we do? How does human rights and environmental matters concern one another? What do they coincide? And what we can do to move forward from here? Uh, okay, human rights and environmental matters do coincide simply because when the environment is affected, our lives and our livelihood is affected. That is our fundamental human right. And when, so Tansri is right when he says that environmental is fundamental fundamental human right. And it's been recognized that the right to life includes the right to a clean and healthy environment. So uh, whenever our environment is affected, we are directly affected. And it doesn't have to be a not in my own backyard mentality. Any environment for that matter, even if it's in another place, we are indirectly affected. So it is important for people to start taking action and taking notice and, and, and to make noise about it. So it's not just about uh, voicing out or finding out about the problem in your own backyard. It's also about finding out about the problem elsewhere, simply because that problem elsewhere will have a counter effect on you. For instance, okay, so you're talking about the clearing of the forest in uh, Kedah. Uh, and at the and a, Obviously, the clearing of the forest water catchment areas in Kedah affects people in Penang who suffer flash floods because of because it's all connected. So are the Penang people in Penang saying that, I mean, people in Penang saying that, look, you know, I don't care. The forest is in Kedah and it really doesn't affect me at all. But at the end of the day, we are affected. So there is a reason for all of us to take action when we know that something is going wrong in our country even if it doesn't affect us personally, it is of our interest to take a responsibility for it or to take interest in it. For instance, now there is a plan to build a road in a forest reserve in, in, in Shah Alam. So, but then the only people who seem to be interested are the people who go there for cycling and trekking every time. But why aren't the rest of the people in the Klang Valley taking an interest? Number one, they need to know about it. So that's where the media comes in. And that's where social media comes in to get the information out. Secondly, they shouldn't just say this is a Shah Alam problem. I am living in all the way in you know, Malawati or somewhere, so I really don't care. Because it affects all of us. If they can build a road through that forest, tomorrow they can build a road along the climb ridges, which affects the Malawati area. So everybody is affected. It is not about a particular project itself, but it is about the fundamental misunderstanding of what role the environment plays. And 
our role in uh, uh, taking action is not just to protect that little corner of the environment, but to protect our right to uh, a healthy environment or a clean environment or a safe environment, wherever it may be, because tomorrow it may also affect us. So that's why every citizen has to take responsibility and take part where they can take part in many ways you can take part through the media you can take part through ngos as tansri pointed out you can take part by by um, getting more information educating yourself on the issues affected you can join residence groups and you can also get effect in, uh, uh, involved in a more direct manner as well Litigation is a uh, last. Litigation is not always the only angle. There are so many ways of getting involved, and the most important is creating that awareness so that everybody gets. Right. Thank you, Jessica. So we've come to. Uh, we have received a lot of questions from our participants uh, up to about seventeen. So uh, when I look at the questions, so uh, coming from uh, Jacqueline Chang, uh, she was asking, "Can you share if you have any um, stakeholder dialogues with JAS and CASA, and any progress have been made?" Um, would you like to answer any one of you? Maybe Jessica. Uh, sorry, the question again. Yeah, if you have any stakeholder dialogues uh, with JAS and uh, KSA, K KASA, if any uh, progress have been made, uh, for example, with the Sungai Kimkim or Sungai Kong? Um, hmm. Generally, uh, the NGOs, uh, Sabah Alam Malaysia is involved in uh, dialogues with the Jabatan Alam Malaysia, with the DOE. And we are also involved in the proposed amendments to the Environmental Quality Act. So that has been an ongoing uh, effort. And we have engaged for many years directly with the Department of Environment. It is a slow process, but it is an ongoing process. And it's not just, it's a, there are many good people on the ground who know how it's important, how important it is to change the laws and change the bylaws little by little, but it is not something that's going to happen. With regard to that, um, Norman, may I say something? Yes, Tansri. We start to take all the dialogues. Uh, at the moment, we have um, made contact with Down Bandaraya to have a dialogue on the Bukit Pusketuan, uh, Federal Hill, where it is proposed to build a multi well, a big piece of property has been given to SPCTIR. And um, we are not sure what SPCTIR is going to do. But the concern that the whole federal hill of Bukit Puskutuan could be affected. So we are now in communication with uh, Dewan Bandaraya. Uh, actually, the stakeholder dialogue was supposed to be this morning, but because of COVID, it has been postponed indefinitely. But Jessica is correct. We need to push for this stakeholder dialogue. And this is where, to my mind, with regard to the environment, the NGOs can play a role, but in relation to that, coming to the issue of human rights, that's where Suhakam should come in. Suhakam was established to address the issue of human rights. And if we consider clean environment, clean air, clean water is a fundamental human right, can't we get Suhakam to be more proactive? To, to, to come in and address these issues. 
Thank you, Tan Sri. So uh, we've been uh, we are running short of time, and we have a lot of questions to go. But unfortunately, I'm so sorry. Uh, we are really running out of time. So we would like to go to every panelist to share, you know, their final thoughts. You know, uh, we will start off with uh, Tan Sri. You know, what's your uh, your your final thoughts uh, to our listeners out there, to our to those who are watching? Well, I have a number. One, I believe in the principle of polluter pays. Whoever pay, uh, pollutes must pay. Private uh, citizens, taxpayers, should not pay for the pollution that um, companies, whoever pollutes the environment, they must pay and they must be made sure not just to pay, but pay to ensure that the environment is brought back to its um, uh, natural state. Two, the responsibility of the environment, as I mentioned just now, is all of us. And three, the role of the young. We must inculcate environmental concerns in the young, in schools, at home. This is very important. Four is the role of NGOs, Environment Protection Society. Uh, my dear friend Gurmit Singh and I are very close and uh, he has been a champion of environmental for many, many years before. We miss Karam Singh Walia. You remember him? Yeah. At TV Tiga. We need more personalities like Karam Singh Walia. Uh, and finally, I'd like to quote Mahatma Gandhi who said that the world has enough for everyone's needs, but not for everyone's greed. And the issue that we are facing now is a result of fundamental greed by certain individuals, by certain groups, where he or she or the group doesn't recognize that his needs are enough without being greedy. Thank you. Thank you, Tan Sri. So, move to Silin, your your one minute wrap up. Um, I think um, engage, just engage in any way that you can. Uh, whether you're a single voice, you can do that by signing a petition. You can do that by um, lobbying your local residents association. You can join MNS, the Malaysian Nature Society. You can uh, help out with Sabat Alam Malaysia. You know, there's, there's numerous ways that you can engage. Engage with local council. You might feel it's very frustrating, but you have heard Jessica and Tansri both saying that the NGOs continue to engage, even though it's slow, they are getting somewhere. You know? So just, just engage with anyone. Engage with the media. Uh, I, who am a non-lawyer, uh, if I, who am a non-lawyer, can maybe foolishly take part in uh, a forum like this about environmental rights, uh, everyone can do something about the environment. I can't lawyer, but I can speak to lawyers about laws and rights. Yeah? And I have a tool, and that's the ability to write. So I choose to use that tool. I choose to write as a way to engage, to voice out. And everybody has their tools, and everyone can choose to voice out. Excellent one, Silden. Last but not least, Jessica. Um, I'll start by answering a question. Somebody asked a question, um, how can we mobilize Malaysians to get the environment as a fundamental right under the constitution? Well, 
speak to your members of parliament although things may seem a bit hopeless right now but nevertheless if you want to make change to the federal constitution it has to be through our parliamentarians and so we have to educate and sensitize our parliamentarians as to how important it is um to have the environment recognized as a fundamental right in the federal constitution our parliaments are the only ones who can take it up there and start making that change it will be akin to you know uh, hitting on a your head on a brick wall but it will have to be done over and over again until we finally get there the second message i i wanted to um, just take uh, give as a take away is um there should be a paradigm shift we need to have a paradigm shift we need to understand that the environment is part of us and we are part of the environment what we give to the environment the environment will give back to us you know yesterday i i was in a webinar uh, regarding native customary rights and uh, one of the speakers was tansri richard malanjum the former ceo and he said that you know to understand the relationship between people and the environment you have to go live with the orang asa uh, that really is that really hit me because really their relationship with the environment is so fundamental to their lives itself but that doesn't mean it is not fundamental to our lives so we need to understand that relationship between us and the environment and how important the environment is and then we when we are sensitized in that way and when we have that paradigm shift then we can truly take action in a way that makes sense and and in a way they will benefit everyone around us thank you jessica so thank you all to our panelists today with your input suggestions and recommendations in our malaysian bar environment and climate change committee webinar today discussing our roles uh, from various backgrounds you know for various professionals making an impact in protecting our environment uh, taking sungai kim king sungai gong as an examples you know do look out you know even when you are in sabah in sarawak in kelantan take action so if we do not start today when ask ourselves what we can do so all to all our listeners and participants do follow malaysian bars facebook at facebook.com malaysian bar as well as bar councils environment and climate change committee at facebook.com bceccc so we will be sharing this webinar forum on anchor.fm and spotify so thank you all and i will hand it over to roll to jaya what an excellent discussion we've just had there Thank you again Tansri Dr Saleh Jessica Siulin and Norman and a big thank you to all of you who've turned up and for participating and asking really good questions this evening there definitely is a lot more to unpack from what was brought up and discussed so the discussion here doesn't just uh, it doesn't end here we've got more episodes lined up within this series so we have got uh, the another four episodes so coming up uh, on a weekly basis moving forward So go to our Bar Council Environment and Climate Change um, Committee Facebook page and you can see the list of the episodes and register for them there. So that's the Bar Council Environment and Climate Change uh, Committee Facebook page. Next week we will have episode 1. So this one was episode 0. The next one is episode 1 which has the title Where do environmental rights come from and what are they? We will be joined by the environmental lawyer Preeta Shankar. and constitutional law expert professor dr shah salim faruqi of university malaya please share like and follow us on facebook instagram and twitter until we meet again next thank you for tuning in stay curious stay determined and keep the faith good night <laughs>